Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So what do you think that the punishment should be if you shoot someone you murder them basically you mutilate then rape their lifeless body engage in some casual cannibalism what do you think the punishment for this should be like i think that it should be at least okay at least life imprisonment and in this case i'll be like all right all right all right it's very hard to argue against a death penalty here okay well how angry would you be how indignant would you be with two years of nothing two years in a cushy french detention center and then sent back home to freedom well, that's exactly the quote-unquote punishment that Issei Sagawa received. Hi, I'm Teddy and welcome to A Brief Case. Today, we're covering the Japanese cannibal killer Issei Sagawa. Issei Sagawa was a terrible piece of shit person in his lifetime and he in all the unfairness of life grew up really privileged and okay you know what i'm being a bit dismissive so we need to start on april 26 1949 now isei was born in kobe to a rich family isei's dad was a businessman who was at one point the president of kurita water industries which is a listed company all right so he was a businessman and his granddad was the editor of the asahi shimbum one of the four largest newspapers in japan so he is from shmoney but i'm going to say that he had kind of a rough infanthood and the thing is that i am very much not qualified to comment on whether or not this had an impact on his mental health but he was born premature but the thing is i do know other people who were born premature and ended up perfectly normal but you see he was so premature he was so small that he could literally fit on the palm of his dad's hand so that's very scary for a parent so he popped up premature he immediately got sick he got a small intestine disease and even though he recovered he lived his life as a very delicate very sickly kid he wasn't into sports or dance or anything physical like that now what he really was was into literature now, Issei is a little bit of an attention whore. So, in a 2011 Vice interview, he actually admitted that he started getting all sorts of dirty thoughts when he was really tiny. Like, when he was in the first grade, so that's like Burmese one, he already started to have cannibalistic thoughts. That's kind of weird, alright? He had cannibalistic urges and... 
I, d- I didn't have it as a kid, but like, all right, all right, maybe he's just curious. But this is where it gets really twisted. They don't specify, but when he was very young, he raped a dog, according to him. So there wasn't much else about that. And somehow he makes it through to Waco University for his bachelor's. And this is where the first incident happened. Now, Waco University is in Tokyo. It's a very cosmopolitan city. Lots of people visiting, lots of exchange students. And we don't know if this is pre-mediated, but one day he follows a German woman home. And he was like, yeah, I have a thing for women who are like the opposite of me. Now, Issei is short, like really short, like 144cm. So that's like four foot nine. And there is nothing wrong with a nice, confident, short king, but that he was not. He was sickly, he thought he was weak and ugly and small, he had no self-confidence, and he said that he wanted to eat a woman who was the opposite of him to get their energy, to absorb their energy. So he says small and short and ugly, and he wants to eat somebody tall and beautiful and confident. Okay, so he follows this tall German woman home and while she's sleeping, he breaks into her apartment which is horrifying. One of my biggest fears is like home invasions which don't really happen a lot in Singapore but it's still there, you know? So his plan, he was like, alright, I'm gonna slice off her butt and then I'm going to sneak away. Which, isn't it a bit of a stupid plan because how do you sneak away after literally butchering someone's ass i would wake up and be like ah you got my ass trick i'm gonna i'm gonna call the police okay so before he can even like really get her butt off she wakes up and she pushes his weak ass to the ground and she calls the police and he gets charged with attempted rape because the police is like oh yes very typical this looks like he's trying to rape her right and he was like Okay, yes, I was definitely trying to rape her, not trying to eat her, her butt or anything. I'm not a cannibal, so he doesn't say anything about that. And then, in the tradition of rich men and their sons across the world over, his dad pays a settlement to his first German victim. And this first incident happens when he's about 24, and it doesn't have any sort of lasting lasting impact on him. He doesn't go to jail. He doesn't have a rap sheet. Because after that, he still goes to Kwansei Gakuin University for his master's. And he majors in English literature. About three years after the first incident, he moves to Paris and he attends the Sorbonne, which is considered to be one of the world's top institutions for studying humanities like humanity subjects and it's a bougie accredited school and obviously has money to pay for his living expenses in Paris and this is in 1977 and I believe he was doing his PhD right and I, I really assume that daddy's giving him a very generous allowance because allegedly he admits that he brought home a prostitute every night and I know nothing about sex work but I assume prostitutes are like kind of expensive right and that isn't the worst part I mean if if everything is consensual sex work is work 
all right there's nothing wrong with it it only gets really gross when there's exploitation and trafficking and everything comes in but i digress so every night he brings home a prostitute and every night he just tries to shoot the poor sex worker who's trying to do their job and so where does he get this gun from he has a 22 caliber rifle that he bought allegedly for protection when he first arrived but thank god he doesn't so he didn't get the opportunity to become a serial killer instead he says when he tries to do it his fingers froze up and he couldn't pull the trigger so i don't know why but it's like four years in and he's still a student at the sopon he's about 32 and in school in class he notices a beautiful, talented, kind Dutch woman, Renee Hartfelt. We know that Renee is beautiful. We know that she's smart. Come on, she's attending the Sabon. And she was 25, so quite a bit younger than him. She was 178, so 5'10", so that's quite a lot taller than him. And you know, the Dutch are very tall people. She spoke three languages, and she was getting her PhD in French literature. Alright, not even in her first language. And he was obsessed. He says he fell in love with her almost immediately. This was love at first sight. And so he he doesn't really know how to hit on her. He's never really had any sort of real dating experience or relationship. So he's like, oh, teach me German. My daddy is very rich and can pay. And the thing is, when you're a student, you do what you can. And in the grand scheme of things... Tutoring is like a reasonably respectable job. So they strike up a more normal friendship as she's teaching him German. But in his head, he just he just couldn't get over the obsession of potentially eating her. He's like, hmm, wonder what she tastes like anyway. So one night he invites her over. Nothing to says this is just a tutoring session. And he's like Oh, Renee, my friend, my German tutor, can you read this poem for me? This German expressionist poem, which which she does, and then she reads it. And then she leaves. And the creepy thing is, after she leaves, he leans over on the chair, the chair that she was just sitting on, and he licks the chair. And he's like, I will eat her. And this was uh, not like a Epicurean thing, okay? This, was, this wasn't this was like, oh, I wonder what human meat tastes like. This was like a power and ownership thing. He thought that if he ate her, he would basically own her forever, you know? And so he calls her again. He's like, Renee, babe, come over. I want you to read the poem out loud and I'll record it so that I can practice my German poetry you know and we can have dinner together and she agrees because he's a student right and they have a reasonably normal friendship in her eyes and that was the night of 11th june 1982 that day he prepared his gun and renee arrived they sit on the floor which isn't too unusual because he's japanese and they drink tea and he spikes her tea with just a little bit of whiskey. And they talk and Issei tells Renee that he's in love with her. That he wants to take her to bed. And she's like, no thanks, you're engaging. But you know, you're just not my type. Friends, okay? 
and so she does this really politely and really carefully and i think that if y'all girl all girls know how to be careful with this kind of thing because you never know what happens when you turn down the wrong person which really shouldn't be a thing but it is and so he's like all right and he gets the his poetry which was the point of their meeting anyway and he's like sit here sit on this chair and he hands her the poem and he starts a tape recorder and while she was reading the poem he comes up behind her boss is Military parents never miss a beat, and neither does the Johns Hopkins U.S. Family Health Plan. Built for every warrior in your family, with more than 40 years of service to military families, TRICARE Prime Benefits plus exclusive extras. Learn more at warriorsathome.com. With his gun, and shoots her in the neck. And for some reason, he tries to talk to her, but she obviously doesn't reply because she's dead. And there is so much blood and he tries to clean it up but there's just too much blood so he gives up and finally he had her he had exactly what he wanted now that she couldn't say no he strips her down he cuts her breast her nose and in the same 2011 interview with vice he talks about how he really couldn't decide what to eat first so he tries to bite her bum for some reason he had an a little obsession with her bum with bums but he's weak as tea for two weeks so he leaves to get a butcher knife he also has an electric carving knife so he cut her up he cooked her he ate her he listened to the recording of the poem and he used her underwear to wipe his mouth after eating he fried he baked he ate the face the tongue the eyes the breasts, the butt, the feet, the thighs, the neck. He allegedly swallowed her clitoris whole. And then he tried to eat her, her anus. And he took some photographs while he ate. And whatever he didn't eat, he brought back to his bed to sleep with him. And the body took some time to decompose. But when the flies started coming, he decided, alright, it's time to get rid of everything else. He got a hatchet, which is a little bit like a small axe, and he chopped her into pieces, and then he shoved her into two suitcases. By the time he put everything into the suitcases, it's midnight, day two. And the next day, which is, should be around day three, he calls a cab to the Bois de Boulange, and this is a large park near the 16th arrondissement in Paris and it's a bougie-ish area, right? It's near Park. And he wants to dump the suitcases in the lake but there's people watching him. I don't know why he thought he could just go to a random park and dump suitcases in the lake in the middle of the day. So he gets scared and he drops the suitcases and he runs. And a couple at the park, they're like, mmm, this is really sus. So they go closer to the suitcases and oh shit, there is literally blood on the suitcases there is blood coming out of the suitcases and there is a hen there is a literal human hen peeking out of the suitcase so they call the police Issey, he runs home he continues eating pieces of Renee and the police, they manage to track him down so they come with a search warrant and they open the fridge and they find pieces of Renee inside they are horrified and the thing is that Issei, he knows what he did, he confesses to what he did, and he's arrested. 
Now, this is what happened in French court. The judge who listened to him talk about his crimes, who listened to him, his confession, he's so disgusted, he's so shocked, he's like, oh my god, this man is not in his right mind. And he sent to an asylum indefinitely. So he had multiple psychiatrists who spoke to him and three of the main psychiatrists who spoke to him, they were like, mm, we don't think that he will ever be cured, alright? And now, don't forget, we cannot forget that Issei Sagawa is a rich boy. Issei Sagawa has money. So his daddy arranges for him to be transferred from this tragic French asylum to the Matsuzawa Hospital in Japan. And apparently, during this process, the superintendent was like, no, 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 he is sane. He should be going to prison. What's he doing in an asylum? But they arranged for the transfer anyway. But also because the French documents were sealed, right? Because of the sensitivity of this case, the French documents are sealed. The French documents were not transferred over to the Japanese police. And the Japanese police, to them, officially, there was no paper trail of all the filthy things that he did, even though it was reported on extensively. And so he legally, he legally couldn't be detained. And so he stayed in Matsuzawa Hospital for about 15 months. And then literally, he just walks out like nothing happened. He's a free man. He even got a passport. <sighs> So what did Issei do after this? He wrote four novels. He did the infamous interview with Vice about his murder and cannibalism. He was even featured on a Japanese culinary magazine, which is so ridiculous. What were they thinking? And he is such a creep. He appeared in a porn movie, like Pornhub Porn, but probably not Pornhub like JAV and the actress she didn't know who he was and when she found out afterwards she was like disgusted and this is really very exploitative unethical the producers are disgusting now both parents both his parents died in 2005 but he didn't attend their funeral because apparently he was prevented from attending his funeral now as a known murderer and cannibal, it was pretty tough finding a job, oh no. And he even had benefits like welfare for some time. And in 2013, he had a cerebral infarction, which is kind of like a stroke, a hemorrhage, but kind of not, I'm not too sure. But it damaged his nervous system and he needed help, like everyday kind of help in his Kawasaki apartment. And finally, on 24th November 2022, at the age of 73, Issei dies from pneumonia in a Tokyo hospital. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of A Briefcase Podcast. I think that the interview with Vice was one of the first Vice documentaries I've watched since then I've watched a ton of Vice documentaries they're just so good I also particularly enjoy like their worst rated series they're like the guy who goes to all the bad rated lowest Yelp reviewed places it's kind of funny but anyway I'm a bit like I can't believe he just essentially got away with it on a technicality and it's a bit grossed out and like 
I can't imagine telling someone that their kid, their sister's daughter's mother is free on a technicality. Like, ugh. Well, it's almost Christmas, so we should all stay safe out there. It is also Michelle's birthday month, so very happy to Michelle. If I'm not wrong, at the time of recording, maybe tomorrow she'll be flying off to go on holiday in America. So stay safe there. It's one of the countries with the highest number of active serial killers still around. And I hope everyone is staying safe and having a good time these holidays. As always, you remember that you can drop me a DM or tag me at a briefcase podcast on Instagram. I always look forward to that. And as always, you can find me online at abriefcasepodcast.com. And do join us next week for another brief case. <laughs>